0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello world and welcome to the upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on our way to the top. So with this theme of the beautiful month of February, by the way, happy new year for all you who are hearing for the uh, for the first time, the upcoming, happy new year to you all, 2024. It's just a beautiful year, just new, new us really, just a new year to set new goals, new standards, just new achievements, new everything. And for... And for this month, we are doing the theme. We're doing something different. The theme of love. So, what I love is? Self love, community love, you know, personal love, romantic love, just love because everybody deserves it. And what better way to team a theme of love than with this new guest? She is not just a marketing specialist and an intern for Uh, digital uh, for good as i can hashtag i can help she's also been the social media and pr communication specialist at the school she studies at that's university of texas at austin with the game design development program she has a master at social media with even with podcasting, she's contributed to the parents for good podcast, uh, part of the hashtag I can help. And she has achieved so much. She's a huge advocate for mental health and suicide prevention and just building a more positive, positive environment within the internet, within social media. So just people giving love all together. And now she is here. So ladies and gentlemen, join me now. For the upcoming 52nd episode is Caitlin Marsh. How's it going, Caitlin?
1: Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Jonathan. And congratulation, uh, congratulations on your 56th episode. I am doing phenomenal. I just got off of work and I'm just so excited to be speaking here with you today. 52nd, <laughs> but thank oh,
0: you. Oh, 52nd, 52nd. You're okay. so
1: high up there. It's just such a big achievement anyway.
0: Yes, yes, it is. But um, Caitlin, as part of the upcoming, I always let my guests introduce themselves after I have given an introduction. So please indulge us. Who and what exactly are you?
1: That is a beautiful question because I need to answer that for my business class anyway. But my name is Kaitlin Marsh. I'm a marketing student at the University of Texas at Austin. I'm also studying a Spanish business certificate. I was born in Spain. Don't speak Spanish. So that's something I'm working on fixing. Um, I'm currently of a sophomore standing and I intern with Digital Forget-X-I-Can-Help. That's a mental health, digital safety nonprofit. I have other history interning with other nonprofits like suicide prevention, nonprofit Breaking Taboo. I work on campus as a student government mental health agency co-director. I also work as the vice president of programming at the University Residence Hall Association. And on top of that, I also have two jobs on campus. So I'm pretty busy on that aspect, but I'm just really passionate about what I do and helping better the mental health of the students wherever I can.
0: Well, there you go, Kaylin. Just working on yourself and working to those lives of others. There we go. So. Now let's just take it back. As you mentioned uh, being born in Spain, so now it got me interested in your background. So just brings all the way to the start. Where did it begin? Where you found yourself being a you know community leader and someone who was just so involved in, commu- in not community and not just communities, but also organizations and programs.
1: That's a really good question. My uh, my dad is a military um, retired Air Force. And I was born in Spain because he was stationed over in Spain at the time. I've lived in four countries, but I never really picked up anything other than English because we bounced around so much. But when I saw his um, VA paper, he had never revealed to us that he had anxiety and PTSD disorders until I accidentally found that paper. And after that, I got really passionate about mental health because if my own dad didn't feel comfortable talking about that to his family, what does that say about all the other service members that have and are more likely to have those conditions. So that's where I really got started there. Um, I kind of fell into a role with the Texas Associations and Student Councils back in high school. I was a state parliamentarian student representative because somebody else dropped out. And I just happened to go to the same school as that person. And I was the recommendation there. And then that's when I got started with the state service project Roadmap to Wellness, which focused on bettering mental health in schools post-COVID. So that was really my start advocacy-wise, but my passion came from my military background.
0: Interesting, you've been so many places around the world mm-hmm. and now you're here. so that must have felt just weird going from place to uh, so, all these different countries just so fast before you finally sell in the US. Uh, can you, was, but uh, how would you describe it really?
1: It absolutely was weird. I am very much am a talkative person now. I'm very much an extrovert, but it's really hard to be an extrovert in that sense. Uh, I'm not going to say it necessarily felt hopeless, but it was disheartening knowing that every time you made a genuine friendship, you'd be gone within the year. So that was something that I really struggled with personally is something a lot of military dependents struggle with and let alone with the other issues of being a military dependent. But it really did come with the bonus of, A, I have a built-in fun fact for the rest of my life. I never have to think twice about that during an icebreaker. But um, and being able to see so many different countries, see so many pictures of myself, places I don't remember being. I don't remember going to the new Schwanstein Castle that I did. So that's always something pretty cool, but... Um it, it definitely comes with this up and downs being independent.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of roses and thorns, cost benefits. But uh I'm curious, has that like inspired a love or a desire to travel, you know, see more parts of the world?
1: That, that absolutely it has. Um, my mom works for American Airlines. I am trying to get myself there. Um, I'm part of the college mentor program and their revenue management program. Um, so I just chat um, weekly with a mentor at American Airlines. But uh, being part of American Airlines has been one of my biggest dreams for a long time.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So now I have a random question. Sure Is it there- Is there one country you haven't been to that you really want to see?
1: It's a question I actually haven't been asked. I don't know. I really want to go to Ireland. Really? There's something about, I always see pictures of Ireland with green, green grass. And that's not something we get in Texas. We get dead grass. So there's just (laughs) something about that. That's appealing to me that I really can't explain why. I don't know anything else about Ireland, but I really want to touch the fluffy green cat grass.
0: Yeah, Ireland. Ireland, that is a beautiful country. There's so much to see. Mm-hmm.
1: Just,
0: it's perfect. Looks like looks like the perfect place for hiking, too.
1: Honestly. Oh, that would be phenomenal.
0: <laughs> hiking in Ireland. Hills.
1: Yeah. I don't know. There's just something about it that I want to go.
0: Yeah, all right, then. So now let's uh, head on to... When you were break, let's go into um, your social life. When you were starting yeah. to break out of that shell of being an introvert, what were some things you had to work on the most to become, you know, who you are now as an extrovert?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, it, it was so embarrassing back at the time. It's hard to look back and see myself in this role. But I remember that I was it was in middle school and I was trying to make friends in my art class in Texas. And I was literally Googling how to make friends on WikiHow and looking at the little pictures and to see what you're supposed to ask people to make friends. Um, So it was, it was really just throwing myself out of my comfort zone, talking to people I had never talked to before. And the main thing for me was embracing the awkward, uh, especially if you're the kind of person who had to Google how to make friends on WikiHow, it didn't always turn out right. Uh, sometimes the conversations failed and I didn't really know why at the time. Um, but just seizing the awkward and continuously embracing that was something that helped me become more of an extrovert and someone comfortable with talking to people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Usually when it comes to stuff like making friends, experience is always the best teacher.
1: Mm hmm. But some of those experiences are rough to look back on. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, just shove them all in some closet and just shut nope. the door. They'll
1: come out when I'm getting ready to go to bed. But other than that, they're not here.
0: It's so annoying how they come just so randomly. It's just yeah. cringe. <laughs> but, um, hey, you know, it took time, effort, but, you know, you're where you are now. And so now you're in these big leadership roles. Um, let me ask you, as when, because just, I'm just continuing on with you, um, your background and yeah. becoming a leader. Um, when you started your first uh, leadership role, what were some setbacks or some lows, some hits you took that like built you up even more as a person, as a leader?
1: Yeah, um, one of those big ones. I told you about the Texas Association of Student Councils. So that's where I really got my first advocacy, or my start in advocacy, should I say. But that was not the role that I was supposed to have. Um, I had been involved in what was called the class student council in high school up until that point, which is essentially I raised money for prom. That is all I did. And I didn't even really do that because of COVID. So I didn't really have much involvement in that at all. But um, the state thing, as you can imagine, at the state level, it's more serious. And ooh, how that works in the Texas level, school runs. um, under one representative, but the entire school is represented by that individual, and that individual goes to the state-level campaign so that their high school has that position. Somebody else did all the hard work. Somebody else did all the research. But then she had a time commitment over one vacation, and she was no longer eligible. I had no clue what I was doing. I was just the principal's recommendation because I had good grades at the time. That was the only reason that they threw me in that role. And I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. So that was probably my biggest setback. It was just feeling like I didn't belong there because ultimately I did. I didn't. I wasn't supposed to be there. But embracing that, like I said, embracing that awkward, going through it anyway, and just learning how to adapt to that kind of level was something that helped me get these leadership roles today. I feel like, especially in like this economy, sometimes you have to apply to things that you aren't necessarily qualified for and just hope that it works out. Cross your fingers. Um, Not everything will, but challenging yourself like that is the key way to grow as a leader.
0: So basically what you're telling me is they threw you into the deep end and told you to swim.
1: That was exactly it. And if I asked too many questions, I drew attention to the fact that I wasn't supposed to be there at all. And then... nobody took me seriously so it was learning in silence which was hard but it was something that i had to learn how to do in that case
0: trust me i had people
1: that were nice but most of the time people were wondering why i was there and i didn't really have an answer for that
0: it's just like i'm just here
1: i'm here because someone else had a vacation Hmm. but i was there
0: in well, cameman i've I, t- I too have had roles where I was literally just thrown into the chaos and told to handle it so it, it, it's, it scary. It's, it's scary it's frustrating because you're relying on your own judgment and you still and you're given like so little information you just you have to figure it all out but and eventually
1: your judgment gets tired. <laughs> <laughs> you get it, tired of second guessing yourself. You really just, do.
0: When people ask you questions, you're you just you're just straight up like, I don't know.
1: I don't. I don't. I'll find someone who does know that answer, but I really don't. And I feel like there's courage in saying that too.
0: I suppose there is. But you've come along. You've come a long way. Now you found yourself with, um I can help. So. As before, I've had um, the other guests uh, representing I Can Help, Joshua Jones and Lola Bessis, amazing guests who've said nothing but great things to say about it. What is something you've found about or you've seen about um, Hashtag I Can Help that you are the most appreciative of or respect the most?
1: Hmm. You ask a lot of good questions. I guess that makes sense for a podcast host, though. (laughs) (laughs) I think what I'm most appreciative of is that they give pretty much anyone an opportunity. Whether you're in middle school, uh, we have, I think, I think we have like a fifth grader on our program that consults obviously in a way that's appropriate for that position. But we pretty much bring on anyone who wants to share their story and we give them a platform. We give them a chance to learn experience. Um, for me, I didn't have any internship experience. Kim reached out to me. That was Kim Carr, the co founder. And she gave me an opportunity to give me internship experience that helps me get into programs at UT. And I'm so appreciative of that, that I've been staying regardless, because I really did connect with their mission. And I appreciate her taking a chance on me. And she takes a chance on a lot of people. And I really respect that she helps everyone, regardless of their resume, their background, and helping them get that experience while bettering their community at the same time.
0: Yeah, but I imagine these past few years have brought some big uh, challenges for Hashtag I Can Help. Because take it like this, Hashtag I Can Help, what I've seen, your goal is bringing, like I said, bringing a positive environment, a social environment, especially amongst the internet. And and it had me thinking about uh, when the COVID pandemic first hit Mm -hmm. and the shutdown came and a lot of people had we're relying on the internet, social media, just for some kind of connection. Now, obviously, paved the way for a lot more you know, cyber and a lot more loneliness too. So there's just a lot to deal with, uh, in the, in the past few, uh, past few years. So how did you see, uh, hashtag I can help, you know, bringing like, have you seen them working towards, you know, bringing more positivity, more love, trying to shift the emotions going on uh, during that time? Because I know all of you had been feeling just the the crazy repercussions of a, of a global shutdown as well.
1: It's hard, and we've been really busy. We've been busy for a while. Um, I'm sure you've seen the studies, but there's been a lot of effects of the pandemic and its social isolation having effects on children that are long standing; they're they're not going to go away now that the mask guidelines are away, and it's just something that requires constant, constant support, constant um, not necessarily attacking, but constant diligence, and just making sure that students are aware of, frankly, the effect of what they have, what they say online. Cyberbullying has increased over COVID nineteen, and it's. Looks like it's still going to increase. Um, Obviously, we're one nonprofit and we have a massive impact. We've impacted over two million students, but there's still a lot of work that Thank you. There's still a lot of work that comes in alongside of that. And there's still millions of other students out there. So it's just consistency um, and just making sure that we're just making people aware of the effects their words have on people.
0: How are you guys, you guys individually able to, you know, push through with his social isolation. Cause I know after everything you've had to go through and all the efforts you've made to make friends and suddenly just be forced away from them and like be able to have to do like rely on calls, emails, everything. And I know that has have been hard for you too.
1: Yeah. And it, it definitely was. Um, and this is going to sound silly, but in the wake of all of that, um, one of the most important things to me, especially because I'm sure Josh told you, but digital for I X, I could help us completely remote, completely asynchronous. All of our interns, all of our specialists operate at their own time. Sometimes that's different time zones. For a while, we had someone that was in Bangladesh, completely different time zone. But it was taking the effort that even though we only met one time a month and it was only at one time that for her, I think was at like 3 a.m., compared to 11 a.m. my time zone it was just making sure to keep building that community and that's ultimately what i feel like the pandemic really helped digital for good I can help to do it was asynchronous before that it was asynchronous before covid but learning how to build that community even online is something that we've been using in our curriculum and just helping other students realize that it doesn't always have to be bad on the internet it doesn't always have to be sad sometimes all the internet needs to be is a cat video. (laughs) That's it. Um, So it was definitely hard for us in person. Um, When the pandemic first hit my hometown, it was really hard because I had finally did. I had finally started making friends at that point. And naturally that's when they all went away, but just learning how to make a community um, on my own online. um, It helped lessen the effects of not having that one in person.
0: Yeah, but still, all that friends and just see them go away. It's like it's like planting a tree, watching grow, and then it just suddenly starts withering. Yeah, it's expense. hard. It's hard. Um, but, and it's
1: it's got some effects that are going to last a long
0: time. Uh, I'm curious about, um, continuing on with your work with I can help. I asked uh, Lilith, so I'm going to ask you this. Uh, for you, what is an average day uh, with the organization look like?
1: Just with the organization in general? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for example, today I met with the co-founder, Kim Carr, to discuss some more of my internship qualities. Normally what I look for um, or have been looking for for the past couple of months is to bring on new specialists onto the team. We okay. increased recruitment by about 133% just on the marketing team alone through cold linkedin people. And it was really effective. So I spent a lot of my time actually on LinkedIn looking similarly, as I'm sure you do with the podcast, looking for potential new specialists, looking for potential new people for our podcast. We tend to target parents more for that, for the parents for good podcasts, obviously. And then looking for people for students for good webinars. Um, That's a lot of what I spend my day to day doing. I'm also making sure that my specialists, they focus more on creating media content like TikToks and reels. I'm making sure that those are getting done in a timely manner. Just keeping myself and keeping others busy, even though it's asynchronous.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My goodness. <laughs> but you're not just doing that. You're balancing it with, you know, being a student, doing other organizations, joining extracurricular uh, programs and clubs. So you've got to packed schedule how do you balance all that
1: this sounds this is gonna sound silly actually um google calendar (laughs) if google would sponsor me for the number of times that i say google calendar like five cents every time i say that in a week i would easily have at least like $5, which isn't a lot, but it's a lot if it's five cents every time you say it. Um, it's that, but also my first semester, I started off with, I think it was 15 course hours at UT, and I was still burnout out for my senior year of high school, and I was interning at I Can Help, and just those two alone, my grades, beam, at UT. And um, it's just been learning the importance of time management, realizing maybe it's not like high school anymore. I actually do have to study for tests and taking the time to do the things that kind of suck. Uh, It's not always, it's not always doing the fun things that I like in class. Sometimes it's doing the things that suck. And then that's how you get the grade that you want. And now my grades have been getting right back to where I wanted them to be. I'm estimating to make honors next semester. So just learning, embracing the suckiness.
0: Embracing the suckiness. Oh uh, man! So there it is. There's that right there. Time management super important, but sucky Yes,
1: it sucks because
0: <laughs> yeah, this is a hard. It's a hard skill to have because you're really thinking about okay, like what you need to do right now, and then really thinking you're thinking like at the moment and ahead of time. <laughs>
1: And what if something goes wrong? It's accounting for that, too. Uh, One of my personal biggest pet peeves, and I think this comes from that military background, is when someone else is late. Because I've already been there 15 minutes early. That's what I was taught to do. So if they're 15 minutes late, I'm there when I'm supposed to be. I'm waiting 30 minutes on somebody. So it's just something about just learning time management on that aspect and just being able to prevent something from going wrong or adjust for that. And a lot of people really do struggle with that. And I feel like that is normalized because of COVID
0: almost. So that's, um, so th- so there's, so there you go. That's with, um, I can help. And I'll go a little bit more on that later, but I want to talk about some of your, um, the other organizations you've been with um, breaking taboo. That is, I, I, I did some reading on that and oh my gosh, it, just what your, what breaking taboo is doing is just so absolutely crucial because there's such serious you know consequences to it and so as you know breaking taboo is around you know prevention of uh, suicide and you know breaking the um, well you can explain it better than I can go ahead what is breaking taboo
1: Breaking Taboo essentially just focuses on breaking the taboo around suicide, uh, bringing that to the dialogue, to the discussion. A lot of the times topics like that can feel uncomfortable for people. But if you don't have that dialogue, then unfortunately, it's just going to happen more. So that's what Breaking Taboo focuses on doing help by talking about suicide. You prevent it from happening.
0: Yeah, I love how you say, like, it's uncomfortable people, people, nothing about suicide is comfortable.
1: Like,
0: it's it's dark, it's depressing, and it's, oh, it really just brings tragedy down the line. But I noticed uh, some of the posts, um, on the post around Breaking Taboo, and it mentioned, like, certain wordings oh. of uh, how people explain suicide, like, comparison, like, instead of saying committed suicide, died by suicide. That so, was my
1: post. Yes. Yeah
0: see that that was
1: a big one and it brought a lot of backlash as well um it did um some people so for context died by suicide is the more preferred way to say committed suicide now just because uh, commit has the negative connotation when it comes to the bible commit implies that someone's doing something wrong and By doing that, people are less likely to talk about suicide if you just inherently see it as a sin. Um, By saying died by suicide, you're recognizing that it's from a tragedy. It's often from an illness. It's something that um, if people intervened, it could have been helped. Um, Viewing it as a sin doesn't really bring that to light. But a lot of people disagree with using died by suicide because they feel like it normalizes it. And it really depends on how you view things, but any chance at bringing people to come to the table, discuss the importance of mental health resources, um, that that's why I prefer died by suicide in that aspect.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. With your me so many people disagreed with it and it's brought a thing.
1: A lot of people disagree. Uh, It's weird. There's a lot of contention, actually, in the mental health community, which is ironic given that it's about mental health. But um, hmm. I did get a lot of on backlash on that platform, even things as simple as saying sometimes going to sports and watching sports games. That was something that I got a lot of backlash on, too, just depending on other people ranting about their sports team. So it's really weird.
0: Yeah. But, you know, just knowing that. People, um, you know, want to, that there's two sides. If people want to ag- agree with you, other people don't agree with you. It really just brings the importance of conversation and debate going. respect Respectful, you know, conversation and debate going. But just to hear, like, how some people prefer it and how other people, um, how it is, how it should be, or how people want it to be. It's really, it has me thinking a lot about just how conversations can be given and how communication can be delivered. So I'm bring it back to you, Caitlin. When you think of, you know, respectful conversation, respectful debates, how would you want to see the two sides, you know, coming together or at least, you know, uh, opposing or disagreeing with each other?
1: In this case, in particular, I feel like a lot of the times when someone disagrees, um, it comes from a heated place. Suicide is probably an important topic to them; um, it's something that they personally want to um, make happen less. Most people do, but sometimes that happen. They feel heated because it happened close to them, and in this case, it's just recognizing that there's a lot of emotions on the table when it comes to a phrase like this, and if. For example, someone close to you did die by suicide and you've been saying committed suicide all this time. That's going to make you feel bad if someone else tells you that's the wrong thing to say. So it's just meeting people with compassion and understanding that a lot of people don't want to be told that they've been saying the wrong thing, especially on some a topic that means so so much to them. So it's just meeting people with compassion and sharing your not letting yourself get frustrated with them because chances are there's a lot probably going on under the surface and that's why they're lashing out the way they are.
0: So it's just about like having empathy for the other side, for why mm-hmm. someone might feel that way and just trying to come about it in the most respectful way.
1: Especially in the mental health community, that one's really important because sometimes the people that lash out are the people that need help. Um, they're the ones engaging with these mental health accounts, which is always Good, because it means that they're seeing these mental health resources. But sometimes when they lash out on them, it might be just a general distaste for therapy. It might have been a negative experience with therapy, or it simply might just be denial that that's something that they need. So it's just making sure to treat everybody with empathy, regardless of if their opinion is a little not doesn't come across nicely. If it doesn't come across diplomatically, (laughs) that's the way way to put it.
0: So let's move on to how uh, a country has uh, responded to you know, mental health and uh, mental illnesses. So, oh, you know, you'll see, for example, the media portray mental illness in different lights. Some will like, some will give it like, you know, really good. will give it, you know, the attention it deserves and like, and give real proper awareness to like how it can affect people. Others will use it to. Describe a super villain's you know origin life, like with Joker. Um, but <laughs> I saw you roll your eyes right there. Yeah.
1: Uh, Not my favorite movie. That and Split, I feel like are some of the worst movies out there that depict mental health. Yeah. Split I think was probably the worst one of the two, though.
0: Yeah, because one dude, James McBoy just turning to a full-on beast right there.
1: Yeah, he I mean, like climb up the wall, but it somehow had to do with his mental illness it didn't re- i didn't really get it but making people afraid of people who need help is not something that i really appreciated but now the you- cinematography the cinematography was beautiful <laughs> but the actual concept of the film not something i enjoyed and i feel like there's a lot of that kind of portrayal in the media just making people afraid of people with mental illness and that's not how you get them help
0: no, but you know the thing about, um, I think I appreciate you yeah, got appreciate about Joker was you saw this man like with this illness and he was facing like a literal cold like distant um, mental facility of professionals who should be showing him like you know more empathy and care, but they would just give him like an icy look and just be like, "Here's your meds, leave," and, and
1: make it, treating him coldly. I mean that that did cause his dissent partially, so it, it just. Sad, and I mean that does exist in hospitals today too. Um, yeah, hospitals. I mean, doctors get paid a lot, but they aren't treated very well at times. They're getting less and less time with each of their patients, whether we're talking psychiatry or whether we're talking just uh, your local physician. And sometimes that makes it hard for a doctor that's already stressed enough to give their patient the extra care they need.
0: Mm, yeah, so it's definitely definitely a problem. Um, both sides, you yeah, get have empathy for both sides. It's um, but, you know, another th- quote I heard uh, that really stuck with me is the worst part of having a mental illness is pretending you don't have it because society is often like not very kind to people yeah. who and mental illness so in my opinion we've been talking about media depictions what do you think uh maybe a film or show or something that shows like i gave like the best depiction of Mm -hmm. mental illness
1: i really don't know i can't think of a positive example Hmm. do you have one
0: that's the thing like i gotta think about it because you know Mm -hmm. i don't want it to be like
1: Ted Lasso. ted lasso I literally made a post on that one. That's a good one. Um, And Ted Lasso, the main character, Ted Lasso, um, is actually an American football coach who goes over to England and then teaches a professional football, as in soccer club. And when he does that, um, he has a lot of things going on. He has his own divorce. Um, His father committed suicide at a young age. So he he's dealing with the trauma from that. I'm sorry, died by suicide. Even I make mistakes. (laughs) Um, It's just something that... It's a lot of retraining to do, but even his father died by suicide. And in that instance, he just has a lot of trauma from both of those incidents, the divorce, the trauma, the fact that his wife is cheating and the fact that he feels inferior. He doesn't have the knowledge to play soccer and he frequently gets panic attacks. And it's something that um, Ted Lasso as the show, not the character, handles very well by just showing how... Sometimes when he had his panic attack, everything blurred. He no longer heard anything. He just heard the ringing noise and he uh-huh. had to have somebody help him. And that depiction of me was very, it was very bold, very accurate. And it was just, it, it was touching. It, they didn't have to say a lot to get the point across.
0: Yeah. You know, so I, I just actually had two, um, two ideas in mind. One was a movie. One was a show. Have you ever seen uh, Manchester by the Sea?
1: No, I have not. It is on my list.
0: Yeah, it's a really good show. R- really excellent focus on depression, because um, the main character went through something really horrific. I won't spoil it for you. But the main character was something really horrific. It was a lot of guilt and a lot of um, a lot of grief, and it carried on with him for years on end, and he just never really saw like a way out of it. And that suffered severe depression as a result, made him antisocial and he had no friends. It was, it's just, uh, and it's just seeing the way it was handled, just the way it lasted. Maybe see like, Oh man, this like, just feels like a, like, like a pit. Mm-hmm. That you can't escape from those. Those are some of our, those are some of our picks people of of mental illness. It is not fun at all.
1: No, it's definitely not. But, um, it's not always a bad thing either. Um, sometimes I like to call my anxiety my superpower because I always have a plan C, a plan D, and a plan E. And sometimes you need a plan E. But um, I am medicated. I'm on sertraline. Um, I'm on a pretty low dosage, but that's been really helpful for me. And that's one of the things that I've been having to tell people because a lot of people do have mental illness. And a lot of the times they don't know it. Like Speaking of love, my boyfriend, um, since I met him, I've been pretty confident he's at ADHD, but he's from a Hispanic background. And that's something they don't talk about. And ADHD is something that's normally diagnosed as early as elementary school. It's normally one of the first caught mental illnesses that somebody would identify. But it's just something that until the ripe old age of 20 years old, that he's just not being told for the first time, you need to go get checked. And then that's just... Something crazy to me that that could have been overlooked for so long when it's one of the easiest ones to spot in a person. So yeah. it's just really interesting how culture has an impact on it
0: too. So how's he doing now? Doing uh, doing better?
1: <laughs> he is doing better. He started off last semester last year. Um, he he got in a car accident that actually he he did bonk his head and he bonked his head pretty hard and a nice way to put it. Um, And he's kind of lucky to be alive, but he came back and he didn't really get a lot of support from the university. Um, He was taking difficult classes like chemistry. I think it was medical terminology. He was on the pre PT route and he essentially had to drop that because he could no longer take those classes anymore because they weren't giving him accommodations. So, and that was for a literal head injury. So getting him to get ADHD, Diagnosis now, he still has to pay approximately two thousand dollars to do it before UT will contribute to that, and it's hard to see the barriers that are in the are systemic, and there's a reason that Hispanic people are less likely to get diagnosed, not only because of cultural reasons, but that too. I mean, it's hard enough to get past the cultural. <laughs> aspect of it but then to get past the $2,000 fee while you're already in college is crazy to me
0: oh my god
1: but he's getting better he's following the more holistic ways to um, combat and uh, adjust for ADHD but it it is hard to see that the school is making it hard for him to get the proper accommodations
0: yeah that will be hard to see Uh, hopefully he can uh, get out of that soon yeah but um at least he has you you yeah
1: yeah and i'm pretty awesome so he's on that aspect (laughs) but um it's just crazy to me to see how sometimes even the best universities in the world aren't always the best when it comes to the mental health of their students
0: yeah but um let's move on uh to your role with the game design and uh, development program, you spent uh, quite a lot of time and made quite a lot of contributions to it. And so just tell me a little bit about um, the experience, like when you first stepped in and where you, to where you are now.
1: It was really interesting because UT game development and design, um, is essentially one of the schools at the university. It's the same as like the business school or the communication school, but it really hadn't been publicized. I didn't really know much about it. I've never really met a game design major. And it's not just because we're in different buildings, but just because I, there's not a lot of promotional material about them. And when I saw the job posting, uh, my boss told me we're looking for a senior, um, you're a very impressive sophomore, though, so you never know. And then he ended up hiring me, which was pretty awesome. It was a good feeling. But um, we had no Instagram. Um, the Twitter X page, depending on what you want to call it, hadn't been updated in months. And I've essentially just brought that um, brought that back up from the dead. The Instagram has been in- incepted, had an inception, depending on how you want to say it. I've just... It's been a really rewarding experience being able to highlight the work these students are doing because nobody knew about it. I didn't know about it. So being able to say this one as a game program got shortlisted for a UGO BAFTA student award is a pretty cool experience to be able to do as a marketing major. Just bring highlight to all of the work these students are doing.
0: That's great. Uh, honestly, that's, you've seen just how these students are yeah, handling businesses. <laughs> Getting to where they want to be with the game design and development. Have you seen it like evolve um, since you've joined to so now?
1: I'm going to say level up because I think it'll be funny.
0: <laughs> have you seen them level up? How
1: so, have, so- have you seen them level up? Uh- <laughs> Well, in that aspect, I work mostly remote. So um, I've only had a couple opportunities to interact with the actual students in the program. But I do have to say, one of my favorites, she, uh, well, not that I'm supposed to have favorites, but I do. Her name is Jules Valley. And she actually works with I Can Help now because we've been so close that she came in and, and joined the marketing committee. But she created this game called Zombies. And Zombies is about a bunch of undead characters that you match with the beat um, to beat the game. It's a pretty cool experience. She branded it completely herself. I remember when I went to her, um, when she showed off the game at the game development event, she had brought me a sticker to put on my uh, to put on my uh, hydro flask that had the logo. That's how passionate she is about it. And just yesterday, they went and presented it at the Austin Public Library. So they've been pretty successful. And a lot of these students in this program are very successful. It's just promoting that so that people are able to hire them is essentially what my job is.
0: Uh, Soon you'll be seeing, you'll be seeing Jules, you know, working for Blizzard or for, I I will be
1: happy for her. I will be sad that I will not work with her anymore, but I would love to see her succeed at one of those top companies.
0: Definitely. Um, I want to say that too, but it's just through all these organizations and through this program, you've had to really work on, you know, their, on their online presence. So through social media or th- through, you know, through LinkedIn, through, um, you know, cold LinkedIn, uh, messages and to even running, um, up and run a podcast with parents for good <laughs> part of I can help uh, nice job on that you. um, so you've <laughs> done so much for them how has it built you know your um, skills uh, in the virtual world
1: how has it helped me build my skills is that what you said yeah Oh, um, I have a quite a resume now <laughs> when it comes to using platforms like StreamYard or your Instagram or your ex um, I've I've used a lot at this point. It's really helped me. That's one of the things I was most appreciative about about Kim Carr taking that first risk on me was that she helped me she helped me get curriculum writing on my resume. I've been able to lead these specialists in creating this TikTok content that's majority of Uh, It came from my ideas, doing a a Sharpie sponsorship highlight, being able to write about sponsors, try to get more sponsors, write emails to sponsors and potential sponsors has been really influential in helping me in the dad role, helping to write to 900 alumni. So just being able to leverage that experience and put it other places is really helping me get up. Up and coming, upcoming uh, in the marketing. <laughs> I've been waiting to get that, get work that in this whole time, <laughs> but in the marketing role.
0: Oh, thank you for that. And <laughs> I'm not here, but, you know, all these different um, softwares, all these different platforms you use, they're all different in one way or the other. So it's really I can imagine took a lot of took a lot of practice just uh, figuring out like all the little nooks and crannies to working it to your liking. Um, for example, when you're on when you're on Instagram you know, trying to um, post uh, reels or photos, how do you know like which ones will best like engage your audience?
1: That is one of the best questions because the answer is you, I truly still don't even know as a marketing major with all of this experience, I still don't know which one's going to blow up. And I actually had a very successful TikTok blow up on my own personal platform and it had the least amount of effort I've ever done in a TikTok. My hair's not done. My face is not done. I look like I just woke up because I did. I was quite literally eating cereal while filming it. And naturally, that is the TikTok that blew up. So sometimes I just don't know. Um, I can always do my educated guesses. I can tell you almost anything with UT Austin has a good chance of getting a high engagement rate just because students are always looking at UT Austin. But sometimes you just don't know. Uh. It's always the one you least expect with your hair not done. That's going to do well.
0: Uh, it's that's similar experience too it's it's an, it's almost knowing how unpredictable it is because you're trying to build a brand and you're not sure which one's going to succeed which one's gonna get like two likes or which one's gonna get like 200 likes
1: and It's always the one that goes against your brand isn't it
0: yeah, yeah. I, did, I did a repost to once yeah. Uh, Instagram yeah like the most likes um, for months go figure. Yeah, go figure.
1: A repost does it. I don't know. Like that TikTok, it went decent on my platform, but someone ripped it and then posted it on Instagram. And then that's when it got, um, in case you don't know a bunch about UT or Rival Schools A&M, the top 100 comments are all A&M students going against UT because my TikTok was talking about how much I pay for housing. I'm like, great, but... I have like six Starbucks around me and you have one. <laughs> That's not a very good response back to them. <laughs> so it, it's just crazy. It's always the one you least expect.
0: Always. Always. So I just have a few more questions for you. Okay. Oh, cool. uh, all this time where you've been you know, taking leadership roles, where you've, worked, where you've worked with organizations that are trying to contribute to suicide prevention and mental health and building um, better online communities, better, building better communities, period. How has that made you more aware or more open-minded to people you interact with?
1: How has it made me more aware of how I'm talking to
0: them? Is that what you're talking uh, about? Not just like more aware of how you're talking to them, but more aware of how they're talking, like... how they they act, how they react when you say things, just how you more aware of how you interact with people.
1: So I'm not a psychology major, and by no means am I a professional, but it does alert you a little bit to more warning signs. Um, You do notice people's language a little bit more. You notice if they say, I'm going to go kill myself as a joke, but sometimes that's, that's a signifier of something else, especially if it's multiple times a day. So you just start paying attention on that aspect. You see if someone uses a lot of self degrading language, a lot, even if it's a joke, it does come from some point of truth most of the time. Um, so you just, I guess if you do a lot of this advocacy, you learn to watch your friends. And that's one of the biggest things that breaking taboo always talked about. Um, Sometimes the person that's hurting is the person you least expect. It's the person who's always smiling. Um, It's Robin Williams, the funniest person most of us ever knew. And then he was gone. So it's just, I guess it's just learning to keep track of your friends, your family, and just making sure they feel important because you never know when they don't
0: yeah you know, Hollywood is just notorious for people who seem like they have it all the most sex alive and they just crash so hard you know, we just saw it with friggin' Matthew Perry and just the drugs and everything and it makes you wonder like what his life was behind my closed doors it's
1: have you read Britney Spears memoir I haven't I think that's something you should get on because her story um, she, there's a lot of conspiracy around Britney and whether that's the real Britney or not, but just taking it at face value, what she wrote about signified that there was a lot going on behind the scenes that nobody ever caught and nobody would have ever caught. Um, and we kind of just got lucky. The free Britney movement happened when it did, because it wasn't what she was actually going through that sparked that movement. So it's just, it's crazy to see how much Hollywood paints that picture. And it, it is really good at painting the picture of stuff going on well until it isn't. So,
0: yeah. Hollywood also has, we, we talked about Hollywood's picture of mental illness. And, you know, it was, it was hilarious, I actually kind of sad. When they get it wrong, they get it wrong.
1: Yes. <laughs> like,
0: you ever seen that, um, ever using um, you, you, you that show, The Idol? No, I haven't. With uh, Lily Rose Depp and The Weekend. No. Uh, one What's of that? the, eh, it's just about to, um, the singer. This was trying to portray like a dark picture of the mm-hmm. entertainment industry, but according to everyone who's seen it, it's it failed miserably.
1: Oh. One
0: of, one of the, one of the always there was one um, line in there that caught everyone's ear: "Mental illness is sexy."
1: Huh.
0: Yeah. Like, look it up. I'm not, look it up. I'm not lying. That's, that's actually said in the show.
1: That, that should not be said in the show. <laughs>
0: yeah. And this is all just trying to like promote this, um, work on the brand of the late character it was a pop singer. So, that
1: sounds like performative activism if I've ever heard
0: it yeah so
1: yeah. no
0: give it give give, yeah give it a read after this it's yeah, uh and but uh, in any case uh, yeah that uh, that happened all right moving on so <laughs> um yeah, so I just want to move on to a little bit more of you and how you've changed how have, how have you seen yourself evolve from when you first started to who you are now?
1: I feel like a lot of it is learning to be open about my own experiences. It's always um, if you're trying to get other people to open up to you, it's a lot harder for them if they don't know you. If, if you don't share anything about yourself, being the kind of person who has to go, oh, I'm on search And then they go, oh, well, I was thinking about it. That's the kind of way to encourage people to better their mental health and focus on that showing that I'm an individual who looks like they have it together. I'm working two jobs on campus. I'm interning and then I'm kind of working a third job technically too, but I'm also taking medication. Um, That's something that a lot of people don't think of when they think of mental illness. They think of somebody who's quite literally laying in bed all day crying and eating a singular bag of Doritos for like four hours and then watching friends that's not what mental illness always is it sometimes looks like that it sometimes very much does but um just learning to be open and showing that this is also what it can look like or um i have ocd obsessive compulsive disorder that does not mean obsessive cleaning disorder if you could see my room right now there's a reason we're in this library it's so you don't see that but that's something that people don't always understand because people never shared that information I had no idea i had OCD until about five months ago because I thought because I didn't stay clean that I could never have that so it's just always making sure to show your perspective be open to listening to others and just encouraging people to open up by sharing your own experiences I feel like it's always been the key and it's something that I'm still learning how to do to this day
0: all right Right, thank you for the answer. And now to my last question. Hit me with it. And it's around this month's theme. How do you, how can you see, uh, let me guess this. What does love look like to you?
1: Hmm. I think it's simple. I think it's an appreciation for other people and what other people do. Uh, platonic love. You're appreciative to your friends who sometimes know you're going through a hard time and maybe bring you chocolate or you bring them chocolate because, you know, they just went through a breakup and they're sad and they're eating Doritos on the couch. Um, Other times it's being appreciative to your spouse or to your partner for going out of their way and asking how your day was and taking the time to talk through it with you, whether it went good or whether it went bad, or maybe they got a promotion, but they know you just got laid off. So they're not going to share that with you until they know you're ready. It's a bunch of small gestures. And I feel like good love is appreciating those gestures and trying to give those same gestures back when you can. Uh, When my mom, is fantastic and knows that I've had a terrible day. And as much as she hates paying $6 for a Starbucks string, she goes and get me one because she knows I'm upset. That that's a huge gesture to me and I always make sure to return it back to my mom. And I love my mom. I'm a mama's girl. So it's just always giving those gestures back to people whenever you can and appreciating them when they do give those to you.
0: Beautiful. I Beautiful girl. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for that.
1: Thank you, Jonathan.
0: And now with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of the upcoming. I want to give another big thank you to my guest, Caitlin Marsh, for coming on and gracing us with all his insight and all our experiences. Thank you again, Caitlin, for just hopping on.
1: Thank you for inviting me and thank you for cold DMing me on LinkedIn.
0: Uh, My pleasure. (laughs) My pleasure, Caitlin. And so... Like I said, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the upcoming. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, of course, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. The uh, upcoming uh, podcast, and also continue to follow us. You know, and stream us wherever you get your podcasts. And we should, we should um publish uh, every Sunday. And also, yeah, just need to follow us because we be sure to just show love to those around you, people. This is February, you know, the month of love. Let's spread some love, both, you know, whether online or in person, who cares? Just love is the answer, people. All right, folks, with that, but yeah, that is all for now. And good night. Thank you for tuning in to The Upcoming. If you like this, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter at The Upcoming Podcast. And also just stay tuned for the next episode later down the line. Best yet to come. Take care, everybody.